Hey everybody, I'm taking my summer break and I am going to re-air uh, a podcast that was originally aired as episode 18. And my impetus for doing this was the other day I was picking up feed for my chickens and I got into a conversation around organic versus non-GMO feed. And the guy I was talking with was in agreement with me that most people think if they are buying non-GMO, non-GMO, well, anything, that they are purchasing foods that are safe. And sometimes I just want to say, for God's sake, it's not the GMO. It's the glyphosate. Glyphosate is the herbicide in Roundup that kills weeds and plants in general. Thing is, genetically modified seeds is not really a big deal most of the time. What is really important is when seeds are genetically modified to withstand being sprayed with Roundup and glyphosate. The problem is many non-GMO crops are also sprayed with glyphosate to essentially kill it and speed up the time to harvest. That includes most grains, sunflower seeds, even fruits, a lot of nuts and veggies, and it all adds up. Glyphosate is a huge problem for us and our pets. And yes, Monsanto is correct, glyphosate does not affect human cells, but, and it's a huge but it does adversely affect the bacteria in our bodies and we have way more bacteria than we do cells. The effects are cumulative and it all adds up. It's no wonder that more and more people have digestive problems, allergies, and chronic conditions. So I'm featuring Dr. Thierry Vrain, who's a research scientist, for this podcast episode. As I said, it was originally aired as episode 18. And I suggest also listening to episode 11, parts one and two, for perspectives from a functional medicine doctor and a longtime farmer. I hope you enjoy this conversation and get a lot out of it. Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. This is Janine, your guide, and I appreciate your taking the time to listen. I would like to interject here that during my conversation with Dr. Rain, our Skype connection kept breaking up. I did my best to clean it up, but there are a few hard to understand parts. I'm sure it won't detract, however, from the wealth of information that you will enjoy. Those of you who have been listening to my podcasts know that I feel one of the most important topics of our time is the use of Roundup, specifically glyphosate, on the foods that we consume and how it affects our health and the health of life on this planet. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Thierry Vrain. He's a well-respected research scientist who was originally pro-GMO. And through his work, he's come to the conclusion that GMO Roundup-ready crops and glyphosate in general are damaging our soil and our health. If you missed my previous episode on glyphosate, please go to realgenine.com and click on episode 11. There's two parts. Part one is a fascinating conversation with David Stelzer. He's an organic farmer who specializes in wheat, and he takes us through the evolution of conventional weed farming and how it's contributing to the increase in today's health problems, 
especially obesity and gluten sensitivity. Part two is with Dr. Matthew Flory. He's a functional medicine doctor who explains how our immune system and gut microbiome, a word you're going to be hearing more and more these days, are affected by glyphosate, contributing to the influx of depression and chronic conditions that we're seeing today. So as a research scientist, Dr. Vrain very nicely rounds out the discussion on the dangers of glyphosate. I've watched two of his very informative videos, and I'll put links to his videos on the website. I've learned so much more information by listening to him. So I'm very excited to have Dr. Vrain on the podcast. Welcome, Dr. Vrain. Thank you. It's so good to have you here. I'd love to start with your story, you know, how you became interested in science and research, and, and especially in this field. It's a long story, and I came late. I'm a late bloomer, you should say. <laughs> I was born and raised in Paris, and I did my undergrad in Caen, in Normandy, and met a young Canadian woman my age, and promptly got married, and was in university doing my PhD, but she became ill and was pregnant and could not work and I didn't have the means to support her. So I quit the university and went to work in France and the military called me and said, you're not in university anymore. You have to do your military service. Ah. I said, I don't think so. I'm going to go to Canada. I have family over there and they will support me. And so I came to Montreal. I came to Montreal and at the last minute in France, the military called me and said, okay, you don't have to do your military service, you can do a civil service. And so I arrived in Montreal with a job. I was teaching at Université du Québec in Montreal, mm -hmm. in French, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, plant physiology to students my age. And after a couple of months, the... Uh, the head, uh, the director of the Department of Biology uh, called me and said, we like you, we'd like to stay, we'd like you to stay, but you have to have a PhD and we need a plant pathologist. Uh, so you have to go to McGill University, do your PhD. I said, okay, no problem. I went to register and I did that. And I registered for a PhD at McGill University in Montreal, and I started my PhD the following year. And after a few months, I was there. The head of the department at McGill called me and said, the Federal Department of Agriculture is looking for somebody just like you to train in a field of research where they need a specialist, but they don't have anybody. It's nematology, mm -hmm. microscopic worms in the soil. Mm -hmm. I think you might do. So the head of the Research Institute of Agriculture Canada came to interview me. And a few months later, I got the job and they promptly sent me to the USA to do a PhD in the best university in the world. I was very, very fortunate. Mm -hmm. So I basically worked after that, came back to Canada with my PhD and I worked for Agriculture Canada in research for 30 years. But I was a soil biologist, uh, meaning I dealt basically with those microscopic worms who are causing a lot of damage to crops. And the only the only thing we can do basically is to sterilize the soil. Ooh. Sterilizing the soil is like taking strong antibiotics. You mm -hmm. really deal with the problem. 
And about halfway through my career, I, at the suggestion of a colleague, I learned molecular biology, and then I went into uh, genetic engineering. And so that was my later years. Um, I had a big full lab, well running, and then I ended up as the head of the, the molecular biology group there. Uh, and that's how it was when I retired in 2003. Mm -hmm. So I retired after 30 years with a research branch with a good knowledge of genetic uh, engineering. And I'm fully retired, but I'm still reading a little bit here and there. And I kind of noticed after a few years that there were serious problems. There was definitely a group in France doing all kinds of research and publishing paper after paper showing that basically there was a problem with the technology because the rats were getting sick. Mm -hmm. That's I decided to look into it and investigate a bit, and that's soon after that I started to speak publicly. And I was not happy with my story at the beginning because it was about genetic engineering. What could be wrong with the technology? I mean, I know a lot of people are afraid. A lot of people think we're playing God, and that shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But a scientist, I, I, you know, this is not my concern. But definitely studies, uh, scientific studies that show that the rats are getting sick when they eat uh, engineered corn, then that's a different problem. Mm -hmm. Into it, and I made up a story because there had to be something wrong. If the rats are getting sick, there is something wrong in the food. And, and I didn't know there was glyphosate anywhere or Roundup. I was not, I hadn't, you know, I mean, I knew there was Roundup, but I didn't know what it was about or what it was. I had nothing to do with herbicides. My career was as a soil biologist and a, and a geneticist, mm -hmm. not a, a toxicologist. It took me a year or two after starting to speak publicly, but I realized that it was not the technology itself. It was the pesticide that is sprayed on the GMO crops. Mm -hmm. And I went back to look at those studies, and yet indeed, in France, and as well as many other countries, the studies done with engineered corn fed to the rats, and they get sick, the corn has been sprayed with um, Roundup. If you go into the USA and look at the studies done in the US by certain scientists, who investigate the same thing, and you realize that the crops have not the crops that are fed to the rats are actually yes they are GMO corn they are Roundup ready corn but they have not been sprayed. Ah, okay. So so were the the uh, results different? That was a huge um, eye opener. Mm hmm. Sorry, I missed what you asked. Oh, so were the results different in in the the tests where they used GMO corn, but it wasn't actually sprayed with Roundup? There's basically two kinds of results. There's the results done mostly in the USA, where the the, the studies show that it's completely innocuous and there's nothing wrong with the rats and they're fine. Mm -hmm. And then there's the results done everywhere else in the world that show that yes, there's definitely a serious problem. Interesting. So just to summarize, so we're clear. So the, the, the testing that was done in the United States, 
in, didn't involve spraying the crop with Roundup, but the tests that were done in the rest of the world, the crops were sprayed with Roundup. Yes, as they normally are. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Was that done on purpose, do you think, that it wasn't sprayed with Roundup, so the results would be positive? This is how it works. If if I am a scientist and I want to do work with the Roundup Ready crops, I have to go and knock on Monsanto's door and say, could I please, please have some of your seeds so I can test, so I can do the, the study I want to study. Mm -hmm. And they will say yes or they will say no. And if they say yes, they will give me the seeds because I cannot buy the seeds. I have, I cannot do research. You cannot do research on the seeds. It's, hmm. it's illegal. It, the technology belongs to Monsanto. You cannot just take a bunch of seeds and do, uh, and do study on them. It's illegal. Oh, I didn't know that. Hmm. In North America, yes. So you need permission from the owner. Mm -hmm. The owner is the corporation Monsanto. Right. And uh, Monsanto, this is, uh, again, uh, another long story, but Monsanto did their test 50 years ago, and they know very well that if the crops are sprayed with uh, Roundup, then they become toxic. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. One of the things that I found fascinating in your video presentation was the, the history of glyphosate and what it was first developed for and how that evolved over the years? It was in the molecule. The molecule is a very small molecule. It's basically an amino acid. It's a two-carbon amino acid, glycine. Mm -hmm. It's the smallest amino acid. Amino acids are the, the uh, building blocks of proteins. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, Glycine is uh, important, as, or as they all are, of course, but glycine is a very small, and so it's very important in the movement of the protein molecule. Mm -hmm. but anyway, this molecule, glyphosate, which is glycine methylphosphonate, it's basically the amino acid glycine with a small tail, mm -hmm. a methyl radical and a phosphonic acid radical, uh, was invented in 1950. And then it was, you know, basically shelved. Nobody knew what to do with it, I guess. <laughs> and then the patent for it in 1964, uh, a patent uh, by a company that uh, makes products and uh, commercializes products that clean uh, boilers and pipes, uh, industrial pipes and boilers. Mm -hmm. Because when you run boiling water, 24-7, uh, you have mineral deposits on the on the side of the on, on the walls of the pipe. Like same thing as you in your electric kettle. If you have an electric kettle mm -hmm. or a lot of water in it, if you make tea several times a day, after a few weeks or a few months, you will notice that there's a powdery white deposit on your in your kettle. So it's the same thing on in the pipes and, and boilers in the industry except you can't go in there and, and take them out. <laughs> you need a chemical to remove the mineral deposits. And glyphosate was found to be a very, very good chemical to remove the deposits in the industrial pipes and boilers. Mm -hmm. That's the first patent I found for in 1964, I think. It was 19... Yeah, 
64. Anyway, okay. mm-hmm. in my video, you can check the deal. And if, as I say in some of my early videos, if you, uh, you know, if you have a, a pipe and boilers and you put glyphosate in there to clean up, then of course it, it takes out the minerals, it chelates the mineral, it bonds to the minerals and takes them out of the, from the wall of the, the pipes and boilers. And then you have to kind of throw away the solution. Mm-hmm. If, where the solution, if you throw away the solution where there is plants, you can you you realize instantly that what you've done is you've killed all the plants. And Monsanto, uh, who was in in business to you know to uh, manufacture chemicals and chemical products and and also for agriculture, realized that this chemical could be a fantastic herbicide because it really kills all plants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they tested it, and they tested it, and they tested it again, and it was just amazing. I mean, there was no, it, it's absolutely the best herbicide we've ever had. Mm-hmm. It's um, not really any more toxic than all the other pesticides, all the other herbicides, and it really, really is very effective. It's a wonderful product. So it was patented as a herbicide again in 1969. And and then the product, uh, formulated product called Roundup, the herbicide Roundup, was commercialized in 1974. Mm-hmm. And it was an instant success because it's a very effective herbicide. So for invasive plants, for all kinds of situations, it's great. And it's very good in agriculture as well. It really, really kills the weeds. So that's that was the destiny of this chemical to be a herbicide in 1974, and with some good success, it was an instant uh, competition to 2,4-D, which was uh, Agent Orange in uh, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the coup, the commercial coup, really the, the, the incredible success. Uh, was when somebody at Monsanto had the bright idea that perhaps if they could engineer, modify plants to engineer resistance to the herbicide, then they could spray the crops. Because for farmers, the weeds are the most important uh, pest. Mm-hmm. 80%, 80% of all pesticides are herbicides. 80% of, 80% of all pesticides are chemicals designed to kill weeds because that's how important they are in agriculture. I don't know if you're a gardener, but the gardeners will, uh, will uh, know what I'm talking about. I have a big garden and so do I. <laughs> the weeds are overwhelming and oftentimes I, you know, I would love if there was a product that was truly, truly innocuous that I could spray and get rid of my weeds. Yes, I agree. Um, When in in the 70s, I had my first organic garden and I remember buying Roundup, just a little spray bottle um, that was, it said on it that it was safe for organic gardens. Yeah. 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 They were good at uh, at, uh, public relations too and advertising. Mm hmm. Yeah. So 1974, Roundup. A herbicide, you spray it on your weeds, and then you wait a few weeks, and um, as you, uh, in agriculture, and then you plant your seeds. Mm-hmm. Except Roundup 
kills plants. It does not kill seeds. So if the weeds have not all emerged, then the seeds that are still not germinated in the, in the soil and that will germinate later uh, will actually not be killed. Mm-hmm. So if you use Roundup as a herbicide and you kill your weeds and then you plant your crop, then some of the weeds come back because they did not all germinate at the same time. Got it. And so now you have your your field of whatever, wheat and many other crops infested with weeds, which are competition, which also are a problem when it comes time to harvest because the combined harvester uh, do not like weeds, do not like green matter. They clog the system. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So mm-hmm. they prefer dry. And this will become important in a few minutes when I talk about chemical dry mm-hmm. desiccation. Uh, but we're still on a story of developing a modified crop. This is in the early 90s, late mm-hmm. 80s, early 90s. This is the beginning of genetic engineering technology. And you can, uh, as as you can discover uh, antibiotic resistance in bacteria, you know that you can take bacteria and get them to become resistant to a certain antibiotic. It, it's easily done in the lab. Right. Um, you can also uh, find bacteria that are resistant to glyphosate, to rata. I haven't said mm-hmm. yet, but it mm-hmm. was obviously uh, important and it became known at the time before registration that not only glyphosate kills all plants, but glyphosate kills bacteria. So we can call it an antibiotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I had not thought of that or heard that until I watched your video. It is an important point. And anyway, mm-hmm. so after some work in the lab, they plants uh, were created that were resistant. There was uh, bacteria that was resistant to the glyphosate, to the antibiotic. Uh, You just have to find the gene that's responsible for that, uh, the protein that's responsible for that, and you take the gene and you put it in a plant. And that's genetic engineering technology. I don't suppose I have uh, time to uh, go into details here, but it's not complicated. It's um, just a bit technical. So now you have a plant that every cell of the plant contains the gene from the bacteria that makes it resistant to the herbicide. If you spray the plant, Mm -hmm. the uh, bacterial protein that is inside the, the cell will protect it. So now you can spray that plant and and it's still alive. It's not dead at all as it should be because it has been modified to be resistant to the herbicide. This is what basically GMO technology comes to. I mean, there's all kinds of application of this technology, but really by far, by far, the most, most popular technology in agriculture is the Roundup Ready crops. We have about 500 million acres mm. of Roundup Ready crops right now in the world. Wow, 500 million. If just take a moment to think about it that. Is that huge, is a and huge it number. It is mostly in North America, Canada, and the USA, of course, big customers. Mm. But it's also in South America. It's in Chile, in Argentina, and even in Brazil. Uh, and, and, and a little bit here and there. It's a little bit in China. It's, they're trying hard 
to get into India without not much success. So we have now a new technology, the GMO technology, and the first year that the plants were released in North America was 1996. So in 1996 now, 96. we have a completely okay. different uh, game, is that now you can do something that has never been done before. You can spray your crop with a herbicide. If you spray your crop with a herbicide, you kill it. If you spray a crop with, if you spray any plant with Roundup, you kill it. But now you have developed a new uh, technology, the Roundup Ready technology, which is which means that the crops can be sprayed with Roundup. Roundup Ready means they are ready to be mm -hmm. sprayed with Roundup. And remember my earlier remark about like the grower, the farmers are spraying if the farmers are spraying the ground the weeds with roundup and then wait a few weeks and then plant their seeds then there will be still some weeds coming up so now what they're told as of 1996 is don't worry about your weeds it doesn't matter you don't need to be concerned about your weeds and they learn the farmers learn that very quickly you plant your crop and when your crop has come up a month later you spray because in the month or two mm -hmm. since you have planted, then the weeds have come up. And now you spray and you kill all your weeds and your crop is clean. And that was very important for soybean and corn in 1996. And after that came sugar beet and cotton and a couple of others. Mm. You know, it really, I mean, when you think about it, it really is an, an amazing technology yeah. to yeah, be able to do that. Yeah, it was very much, very much a scientific uh, revolution. It has, it has revolutionized agriculture, mm -hmm. industrial agriculture in North America, mm -hmm. to the point that now the system works so well, because like, remember my other remark, glyphosate is the best herbicide we've ever had. Roundup is the best herbicide we've ever had, and probably still do. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the system works so well that the growers can't get enough of it. And so now, um, you know, instead of being a small farm where you have to manage the weeds with many different chemicals and it's not great, now it's, everything has become super simple. So instead of having 100 acres, you can easily manage 1,000 acres or maybe 10,000 acres. So now the farms mm -hmm. are getting bigger and bigger and more corporate farms and more industrial farms, more industrial agriculture. And really, corn and soy are becoming such incredible, incredibly big crops that we are growing way more than we know what to do with. So now we're growing corn to make ethanol. Mm. So now we're growing soy to to export, to feed uh, pigs and chickens and cattle and, and all, or all our animals are fed with soy, GMO soy, of course, and corn. Uh, very close to 100% of sugar beet are, are modified. Corn, soy, of course, cotton uh, it's modified as well. So, yeah, it's an extremely, wow. extremely successful uh, technology. No wonder no one wants to really hear about the adverse side effects. The farmers 
do not want to be without. This is normal, Kurt. Mm -hmm. It's understandable. You know, it's very much as if you said, oh, you know, I'm sorry, but as of next year, you can't use your tractors anymore. <laughs> they're, they're going to look at mm -hmm. you. What do you mean? Yeah. We can't farm without. And it's exactly the same thing. If you say, well, you know, glyphosate is so toxic that really we need to do without. They will, they will laugh at you and say, absolutely not. We need this to farm. So it sounds like it's going to be an almost impossible task to get them to stop using it unless there's something that can replace it that works. I don't know. And and it, it doesn't have an adverse side effect. I don't know. But I don't have. I don't know that we have another herbicide that is innocuous that works. The problem in my mind, the problem is is spraying the food crops. I don't have a problem with herbicides mm -hmm. used as a herbicide. I don't have a problem with Roundup used as a herbicide. It's toxic. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think it is anymore. Well, it may be more toxic than 240. I don't know. 240 is pretty bad. Uh, the others are, are also uh, pretty bad. There's a glyphosinate. And glyphosinate is a natural antibiotic. It it's, uh, it's, comes from a fungus. And uh, and it has mm -hmm. this label of being natural, but it is antibiotic, and it does exactly the same as as glyphosate. It kills bacteria and plants. So how does it kill bacteria? What what does it what does it do? Because my understanding is that Monsanto has kind of gotten away with saying that it doesn't harm humans because it doesn't harm human cells, but we have ten times more bacteria in our mm -hmm. bodies than we have cells. And that's it, how it's harmful yes. for us. Well, it is harmful in, in many different ways, actually. But bacteria, obviously, are very, um, very fast metabolism. As you may know, but they just reproduce. They multiply the double in half an hour. Everybody knows that. So mm -hmm. obviously, imagine if you had to double your body in half an hour, you would be very busy metabolizing and eating a lot and getting a lot of food and, and growing and then making this another this other body next to you in half an hour. That's a lot of work. So obviously they're extremely busy metabolically speaking and biochemically speaking. So here comes this chemical molecule, glyphosate, which actually binds to one of the enzymes that is responsible for making proteins for making the amino acids, actually, the uh, it's a little biochemical pathway, and it's called a shikimat pathway, and one of the enzymes there is completely blocked by the molecule glyphosate. And it so happens that bacteria and plants have the same uh, the same pathway. Mm -hmm. They make their own amino acids. We only make half of our amino acids. We know we don't know how to make the others. We call them essential amino acid, meaning we have to find them in our food. That's why that's why you have to eat right. your proteins every day. Yeah. So what happens when this pathway is blocked? Well, when the shikimate path shikimate pathway is blocked, then that means the bacteria cannot make the aromatic amino acid like tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine. And that means that there is no protein, therefore there is no bacteria. That's the end of that. Very quickly. Mm -hmm. 
So those aromatic uh, amino acids, the tryptophan, uh, L-phenylalanine, and what was the other one? Tyrosine? Tryptophan. Tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine. L-phenylalanine. So if you're not making, if you're not getting those, what happens? You die. Ah. You die. That's it. It's as if it's as if you know. I was just explaining to you that you need to make your body another body in half an hour, or maybe even one year. So okay, you have one year to build up another body, but you're going to be busy biochemically speaking. You need to eat a lot of food and and double yourself. I mean, imagine making a baby as big as you. It would be exactly mm-hmm. that. Uh, it's hard enough to make a normal sized baby already. <laughs> anyway, so if you don't have the proper nutrition then obviously your cells will not live mm-hmm. because your cells require all those molecules every day so the bacteria cannot live it's a very effective antibiotic mm-hmm. when glyphosate's inject inject ingested into the body does it just does it get peed out or pooped out or is it stored in cells or fat or, or what happens to it? It does get peed somewhat and and I guess Monsanto must have measured that because that's their reaction uh, to explain that yes of course if you know by accident you should have ingest some you really don't need to be concerned because you will be peeing it the same day the next day. Uh-huh. It's completely unchanged it will not stick to you at all that's their message. The reality is actually quite different. The reality is that there are documents uh, that were obtained uh, by Dr. Anthony Samsel mm-hmm. uh, in uh, New Hampshire, and he's been looking at them, and I've been in correspondence with him. And in one of his emails, he was uh, writing that uh, Monsanto knew he, he was doing some experiments to to see if glyphosate was actually sticking inside the body, sticking to proteins. Mm-hmm. And he discovered that actually, yes, very much so, they do stick. Glyphosate does stick to protein very, very strongly. And not only that, he had the results of Monsanto's scientists in the early uh, studies before registration in, in, in the 60s, showing that they knew very well that uh, glyphosate would stick to the proteins now, does that have to do with, and I didn't know about this until I watched your video, does that have to do with the uh, the fact that there's metal in, in, in the protein and it's pulling, it's, no. it's pulling the metal? No. This is different? Okay. No, that's different. That has a different effect. You can have glyphosate okay. inhibiting an enzyme because it is a chelator, like I, I told you, it was sticking to metals uh, mm-hmm. and removing them from the pipes. So by strong chelator... And that was actually how uh, Monsanto scientists uh, explained the toxicity of it, uh, metabolic toxicity in plants, is that it inhibits that particular enzyme in the shikimate pathway. And in their language, it, they basically said that it doesn't seem to do anything else. So that was 50 years ago. Now, we've discovered since that actually it does a lot of other things including sticking to proteins. But the way it sticks to protein is a different, a very different mechanism. And this is actually fairly new uh, knowledge because this was published uh, 
in 2016, mm-hmm. uh, scientific studies um, showing that actually it is incorporated into proteins. Incorporation means that it belongs inside the protein. Remember I told you that glyphosate means glycine methyl phosphonate. It's like the amino acid glycine, little tail. Mm-hmm. Well, in the cells, glycine, like all the other 20 amino acids, is incorporated into proteins, the amino acid chain that will form the protein in by the metabolism of the cell. But if you have glyphosate, then the molecule glyphosate, glycine with a little tail, will actually be replacing glycine. So it's changing the protein. It's changing the protein. Very much so. So now you have a protein which has glycine, but not really glycine. It's glycine with a little, it, it, it feels a little different. It feels different enough that actually the protein cannot fold properly and function properly. It's all a question of uh, uh, geom- geometry, structure. So if your molecular protein doesn't work very well, you can imagine that if, if it was an important enzyme or, or, you know, as they all are, all the proteins are important in the cell. And the proteins, because any of them can be misincorporated like that with glyphosate instead of glycine then the proteins actually are not running properly. They're not functioning properly, which means that the cell is not running properly. And if all the cells are not running properly, the organ is not running properly and will get sick. So it does take time. It's called a chronic disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so also, um, this was something that I learned from your video, our receptor sites for various enzymes and, and processes have a certain geometry to them. And you talked about the proteins folding and the enzymes folding. So if they're not folding properly to create a specific shape that is supposed to attach to a specific receptor site, it can't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, is that yeah, correct? Correct. And what does that mean then for our health? It means what I just explained. It's basically as if you, you know, normally the enzyme and the substrate are like a, the, the analogy that you learned in school, in high school, is like it's a key and a, and a keyhole. And if the key doesn't fit in the keyhole anymore, well, then digestion doesn't happen, uh, respiration doesn't happen, all kinds of functions don't happen anymore, or, or not at the proper speed, or, you know, Things are impaired. Basically, your cells are impaired, uh, and then and then it goes on from there until basically your organs are showing that. Mm-hmm. So what I see as a problem here in is that if if this is out projecting then as chronic conditions, um, and then most physicians are just giving pharmaceuticals for the the symptoms. And the root cause is never getting um, addressed. We have, and, and every doctor, every physician I've spoken to, and it's pretty obvious in the literature, we have a, an epidemic uh, of many chronic illnesses in the last 20 years. Um, mm-hmm. The numbers have absolutely exploded. Like, you know, you're talking of many different kinds of cancer, 
which were on the rise before 20 years ago, admittedly, but autism was not, Alzheimer was not, right. um, dementia, mm-hmm. uh, intestinal infection with uh, Clostridium difficile, kidney and liver damage. Gluten sensitivity, where did that come from all of a sudden? Well, the gluten sensitivity <laughs> is, uh, is basically, you know, on, on the way to, to become celiac. And celiac, it's, a, it's an autoimmune disease. The, uh, we're going back here to what we were talking earlier about the bacteria. You said something about Monsanto has uh, said that this product cannot harm humans or animals because it only, it only kills bacteria and plants. The animals do not have the shikimat pathway. But as you know very right. well, uh, you we, we have a intestinal flow which is now called the microbiome, and this is not, this mm-hmm. knowledge is very recent. I would say, and that's why I, I got so excited five, five, six years ago because it goes with the microbiome. If we know that glyphosate is antibiotic, mm-hmm. kills bacteria. Therefore, if it is in the food we ingest because because the crops are sprayed just before harvest, mm-hmm. the numbers are there. It's very obvious. Um, then uh, then there will be some some times some instances uh, where the bacterial community in the intestine of humans is actually uh, damaged. If the bacterial community, the microbiome is damaged, the microbiome is basically a super organ. The microbiome is considered by many to be the brain, the second brain, basically. The microbiome runs our body. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just reading, too, that um, almost is all serotonin produced in the, in the microbiome as opposed yes. to the brain? Yes. The... You know, I, I, I teach that to my students and I say, well, who's running your body? I mean, do you think about your liver and your <laughs> bladder and your kidneys? No, you don't. Well, who's running the show? Who is telling your kidney to go faster, to go slower, to pay attention to what the liver is doing, to, to coordinate with the brain and the lungs and, you know, when you're exercising, etc. Who is doing all that work? Certainly not us, certainly not our brain. It's the microbiome. We are right. discovering, the, the medical establishment is discovering now, recently, very recently, the whole field is completely exploding. It's amazing that it is this community of 100 trillion cells, as you mentioned them earlier, who are speaking to each other, biochemically speaking, of course, with molecules, short-chain fatty acids mm-hmm. and all kinds of other uh, small molecules, and speaking to our organs, every one of our organs, including the serotonin and the brain, yes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if your microbiome wow. is damaged, your health is damaged, period. Mm-hmm. Let's say someone is has a chronic condition, they decide they want to stop eating all foods that have been sprayed with glyphosate, how long does it stay in the body? How how do we chelate? How do we get it out of the body? How do we get this toxin out and start healing? You know, I I don't think there's any study on that. Um, there's hmm. some circumstantial evidence, anecdotal evidence. I've heard of you know, car- well, uh, naturopathic doctor and doctors, peace, etc., 
telling mm-hmm. their patients to go organic, 100% organic and mm-hmm. come back and see me in three months. And whatever symptoms the people were showing three months later, oftentimes it's like, oh, much better, much better. So obviously there is a, some kind of detoxification process that happens when the source is cut off, not ingesting anymore, mm-hmm. then slowly, 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 then it will leave your body. Yes. Okay. Then it's dealing with the damage that's already been done. It's dealing with the damage that's been done for most people. It's those chronic diseases that I talked about, and that certainly are there. Uh, And as well as being aware of, you know, how, what do you need to do to stop ingesting it, as you said. Basically, Mm-hmm. Education is is important, and uh, and basically eating mostly organic is also very important. I mean, I we haven't talked about the chemical desiccation yet, which is an important topic that I do want to discuss because right. it's more important than the GMOs. Yes, I agree. I agree. The in the last fifteen to twenty years, it has become normal in agriculture to spray. Uh, certain crops just before harvest. I was telling you that the harvesting combine do not like green weeds. And so to avoid mm-hmm. green weeds, when you harvest your field of wheat or barley or rye or oat or, or all kinds of seed crops and, and grain crops, um, sunflower seeds, hemp, uh, even potatoes, peanuts for sure. Um, what else? All the green crops, Mantles, beans, chickpeas. So it would be anything where you want the greenery to die off. Like with potatoes, I hadn't even thought of that. But then I know when I harvest my potatoes, I've got to break the the stems of the stalks so that and leave it for two weeks so it'll dry before I harvest the potatoes. So I can see where spraying it with Roundup would speed that up. It's basically it's called chemical drying. Mm -hmm. So it's to dry it to dry the crop. Mm -hmm and to kill the weeds at the same time, just before harvest, one week before harvest. Hmm. My understanding is that if it rains or something like that, it doesn't wash off. The the chemical is inside. The chemical is in the cells, inside the plant, in the seeds, Mm -hmm. in the grain. It accumulates. It's basically bioaccumulates in the of the plant, just like it accumulates okay. in the proteins of the animals that eat the plants. The animals that eat the animals mm-hmm. that eat. So, if you think of what's in the food store, well, the grain, wheat, barley, rye, etc., the grain crops, the seed crops, the, the lentils, chickpeas, beans, etc., are all contaminated because they are all sprayed just before harvest. And then the GMO crop, of course, corn and soy, um, are fed to our animals, pigs, mm-hmm. cattle, um, and therefore they accumulate in their organs, in their proteins, they accumulate glyphosate. And this was this was demonstrated uh, in a study published in Germany by a German team in 2014. Um, in Leipzig, Dr. Monica Kruger published a study where she measured glyphosate in the tissue and, uh, of animals and humans and found it everywhere, in the bones, in the lungs, in the kidneys, in mm. 
everywhere. Everywhere there is proteins in the animal or the humans, there is uh, glyphosate. Mm. Does it end up in the dairy? Of course, yes. It's in the dairy. Mm. Uh, it's in the dairy. And that reminds me of, in 2013, I was, uh, I think I was in Ontario. And I became aware of, uh, I, was, uh, I was going across Canada doing my lecture, giving my lecture across Canada. Mm-hmm. Became aware of a woman from California who uh, had measured, uh, tested their uh, breast milk. They were nursing young babies and were curious to see if there was glyphosate mm-hmm. in their in their milk. And to their horror, they found that most of them, almost all of them, were actually contaminated, and they were feeding their baby glyphosate. Oh, wow. What a way to so, start uh, out life. You were asking me, is it in the milk? Yes, it is in the milk. It is even in the human milk. But for sure, if uh, mm-hmm. if you feed uh, cows grain, corn, or soy that have been sprayed with, uh, with Roundup, for sure it's in the milk. It's in the meat, in the cheese, in it's in all the processed food that contain corn and soy in the store. It's all in the breads. You know, you could have a, a big good-looking loaf of bread, very appetizing, with a big non-GMO sticker on it. And that's meaningless. It means nothing at all. It's completely loaded with glyphosate. I'm glad you said that, because that is something that I've been saying to people, that the whole non-GMO thing now, it's it's totally... The non-GMO is... Yeah, is, is silly, because now we realize that actually... The crops that are sprayed just before harvest, the non-GMO crops that are just sprayed just before harvest, contain a lot more glyphosate residues than the GMO crops themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's it's, uh, it's such an insidious um, problem that it, it it's it feels like. To me, it feels like these tentacles are just going out into every aspect of life. And it almost seems, um, I mean, I don't want to be a downer, but I I don't see how we're going to get rid of it. David Stelzer, the farmer that I talked to, he he felt that if, if everyone stopped using it on their crops, that there would be a bacteria of some sort that would could be used probably to clean it up but wow yeah i don't know that not sure that could be done it's a very difficult problem it's a political problem because really the problem originates 50 years ago when whether somebody was asleep at the, at the helm or, or or was bribed uh the proper amount but obviously, registration of glyphosate should not have happened 50 years ago because it, there was a lot of studies mm-hmm. that were ignored and a lot of data were ignored. Even the original data from Monsanto shows that their animals were getting sick. This is, this is their own studies. Right. So uh, the difficulty mm. here lies with, you know, Monsanto has nothing to do with it. Monsanto just sells a product that has been approved by the government. And... And everybody, anybody and everybody can, you know, yell on the rooftop that, ah, you know, something wrong is toxic, is toxic, remove it from. But Monsanto couldn't care less. They're, all, they're doing business and the government has approved the business. And that's all there is. So really, it has to do with the EPA mm-hmm. and the PMRA in, uh, in Canada, Health Canada. 
and and PMRA and Health Canada say, hey, EPA says it's good, therefore it has to be good. It's not, not a problem at all. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And the other problem that I see is that even if someone is educated and wants to stop using foods that have been sprayed with glyphosate, where they live, they may not have access to uh, breads and grains and things that haven't been sprayed with glyphosate. They may not really have access to uh, good quality yeah. organic yes, it's true. foods and produce. It's true, but you know, if... Uh... Uh, is is it is it is it a good reason to ignore the problem because you don't really it, you know getting access to real good food is 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 seriously difficult for some people yes but that doesn't mean there isn't a problem you know if, if it was something else if I said okay there's contamination with arsenic and we all know that arsenic or lead is uh, or any other heavy metals is very very toxic so. You know, every time the government finds uh, contamination of food with a load of food with some heavy metals or anything, they they recall it because it's not acceptable. And mm-hmm. we are back. Sometimes I feel that we're back 50 years ago when there was already a little bit of noise about, you know, maybe smoking cigarettes is not such a smart thing to do because there's lung cancer is on the rise. And other cancers are on the rise. And I kind of wonder, and then some studies show that definitely there's a link. And when the rats are exposed to smoke and they get sick and they get cancers, aha, okay. And then, of course, the um, corporation, the, 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 the cigarette companies come up with their own studies. Say, no, no, look, we've done our own studies and these scientists say it's perfectly safe. And this is exactly what happened. And then, and then, you know, there's more studies showing that it is not safe. Well, there's more studies showing that it is safe. And then finally, when the social cost of, of, of health, of, you know, lung cancer and other cancer health uh, 30 years ago became really too heavy, then the governments everywhere became interested and, and stepped in because the social costs were becoming too heavy. So I hope this is what will happen. Uh, maybe we're just just barely at the beginning yes. of that. I don't know. Well, it seems like since it is such a political issue, um, doing something about it that maybe for people to phone or write letters to when the states are senators and representatives, and I don't quite know who you'd write or, or call in Canada, but it seems that um, people need to who are in power need to be educated that's true and i have written letters to the minister of health in canada and been completely ignored uh, so i don't know how else to go about it um, i'm still speaking publicly i you know i have engagement here and there and i and i don't think i can stop but i think i think what can be done is to talk to your friends your family your produce manager at the food store where you go, uh, talk to your city council. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly, but there is the best way to to advertise that there is something wrong with industrial agriculture and it's not the GMO technology. It's a pesticide spray. I, I think that's a really good idea about talking to your grocer, uh, the baker, 
you know, just, just talking to people about these things. I've been doing that as I go into grocery stores. When I talk to the cashiers in the grocery stores, I'll say, is that a cash receipt BPA free or does it have BPA in it? And she'll, she or he will look at me and I'll say, cash register receipts have BPA in them. And you may want to find out if these do and if they can, if they do, if they can get ones that don't. Or if, if I see a produce person, I'll ask them if they know if any of this produce has been sprayed with glyphosate and just try to open a conversation, open a, you know, a, a first step in somebody actually looking it up or, you know, yes. wanting to find out more. I try to do it without being annoying. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about being annoying. I think it's the service that you, you know, yes, <laughs> it, you, you, you may think you are annoying, but really you're trying to, to be of service as I am. Um, right. Just, I know that the, the industrial agriculture is quite concerned about organic agriculture because it's still very, very small. It's like 2%. Yeah, it's very tiny. Oh, was that all? But wow. it's doubling every year. And that's like, whoa, this is a great concern, you know. So really, that's, that's my, my line of work is basically convincing people that they need to switch to organic. Yes, I understand it's more expensive. Well, maybe maybe you don't need to have a, a big TV or maybe a, a big car or maybe, you know, if I tell you your food is toxic, what what are you going to give up to have good food and good health? Mm-hmm. Well, at least to buy organic, the foods that we know are sprayed with glyphosate. So can you just go over that list again of, of the foods that, uh, grains and produce that you know are, are sprayed with glyphosate. In fact, I'm going to write it down as you're telling me, mm. and I'll, I'm going to put it on the website. Ah, well, there is Roundup used as a herbicide. So you spray Roundup on the ground, and then you plant your crops. And you could spray your weeds. You can spray your weeds under your almond trees or walnut trees. You can spray your weeds under all kinds of fruit trees. You can spray your weeds under all kinds of crops, and the residues will be in the in the food, but they will be minimum. They will be small residues. So basically, that covers mm-hmm. most vegetables, fruits that you find in the store. And to be honest, they're small, small residues, and I. I would rather focus on buying organic um, everything else than uh, uh, fruit and vegetables. So the GMO crops are very few. Okay. And it's very easy. So the GMO crops are corn and soy. And because we have so much of that, it goes into basically everything Mm -hmm. that is processed in the store. So if you buy pasta or cakes or anything done with flour is corn and soy in it, meaning they're contaminated with their GMO corn and soy, meaning they're contaminated with glyphosate. Sugar, basically all sugar, beet sugar is also contaminated. Um, Cotton, cotton seed oil is contaminated. Canola, most, almost mm-hmm. all canola in Canada is contaminated, is a GMO, a modified crop. 
And what else? There's alfalfa, but that's not too much. So these are the GMO crops. So that means that they are sprayed at the beginning of the season and the residues are much higher in the food crop, in the food, than they were in what I discussed earlier when glyphosate is used as a herbicide. So it can be used as a herbicide, it can be used on GMO mm -hmm. crops, and now it can also be used as a chemical agent to dry the crop. And that is the most dangerous thing because it's sprayed on food crops just before harvest. And that includes all the grains, all the cereals, all the seed crops, like I said, peanuts, sunflower seeds, hemp, anything you can imagine. They are all dried before harvest. Mm. And it's my understanding that when it comes to weed, about 90% of the That's weed is mean, yes. sprayed with glyphosate yeah. as a desiccant. Yeah, it's, nor it's normal. It's a normal mm. procedure now in Canada. Wow. Yeah. Barley, oh, yes. Barley, it, right. It's an interesting story because the, um, the brewers, the breweries who make beer, have learned over the years that they cannot use, they have to use organic barley because mm -hmm. because glyphosate being antibiotic mm -hmm. interferes with the fermentation. Oh, interesting. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. That's why. Uh, the, the person that I get my feed from for my chickens and ducks said that he uses um, a corn after it's been at the brewery and he said he knew it wasn't sprayed with glyphosate but he didn't tell me why mm -hmm. interesting wow is there anything that you would like to add I, I think this has been incredibly informative I'm really really grateful that um, that we've connected and that you've shared your great wisdom and knowledge no I, I, I don't have any particular anything to add if you have more questions just send them my way I'll be happy to uh to answer, to respond. Okay. Um, I also leave a, on the on the website. There's a place for people to uh, make comments and ask questions. And so, if anybody uh, decides to do that, I'll pass them on. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Brain. I really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for contacting me. Thank you, and thank you for what you do. Oh, thank you. You too. We'll keep working at it. How about you? <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Dr. Theory Brained for doing your best to help educate people about the dangers of glyphosate. Really, most people have no idea what they are consuming. Remember what Dr. Vrain said, the most important foods to avoid are those sprayed with Roundup just before harvest as those will have the highest concentrations of glyphosate. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And remember, rating and reviewing helps draw in new listeners. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast episodes, please share them with your friends and family. Um, you can share through Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, LinkedIn. That always helps, and I appreciate it. If you have comments or ideas for new episodes, please use the comment section on the podcast website where you can also listen or download each episode. 
and there are also notes on the website. The website is www.realjanine.com and Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. Take care and be well.